Welcome to Anil Arana Live. Recorded live during his missions around the world, these podcasts feature audio sermons and reflections from internationally renowned preacher and retreat leader Anil Arana. For more audio podcasts, video sermons, and articles, please visit www.hsiweb.org or www.anilarana.com. Now, today's talk is going to be a continuation of last week's talk. And like I promised you, today we're going to look at generational sins, how the sins of our ancestors affect our lives here today. Now, whenever we think of ancestors, we usually think of father and grandfather. But I want us to realize that an ancestor is a grandfather's father and his father and his father all the way down to Adam and Eve. And we're going to talk about how these sins affect us and what we can do about them. But before that, for the benefit of everyone who was here last week and for the benefit of those who are here for the first time, very quickly I want to summarize some of what I spoke about um, last Wednesday. Now, many of us look at God as a father. My sister was leading worship today. She kept talking about God in his role as father, and that is very true. He is our father. We also look at God as friend, which is also true because he is our friend. And the reason he created us in the beginning of time was to be his friend. Very few of us look at God as judge, and that is also what God is. Now, where does a judge sit? A judge sits in a courtroom, right? And our father also sits in a courtroom, but his courtroom is the courtroom of heaven. Now, I want you to picture this courtroom one more time, okay? You have the judge sitting over here, and you have three very important characters who are in the courtroom with the judge. The most important, of course, is the defendant, that is you. But you also have a prosecutor and you have a defending attorney. The prosecutor is the devil who constantly accuses you with one aim in mind, and that is to make sure that you are condemned. But then fortunately, you have a defending attorney, an advocate who stands by your side, making sure that no matter what the prosecutor says, he offers a defense for you. Everybody with me? Okay, good. I'm going to try to keep it as simple as I can because today might get a little heavy, okay? But whenever I find it getting heavy, I'm going to make you all stand up and do the hallelujah. It's been a long time since we did that, but I don't think it's going to be heavy at all. Now, why does the devil accuse us so much? Why does the devil accuse us constantly? I want us to be able to understand that because anyone who watches crime movies, courtroom dramas, knows that one of the things the defense team does is to study the prosecutor to make sure they know what his weaknesses are. And we need to know what his weaknesses are, we need to know what his strategy is, and we need to take steps to defend ourselves against anything he might throw at us. So I'm going to tell you the story of three people whom the devil accused. And they are possibly stories that you all already know. But when you look at these stories in new light, you will get new insights. And um, one of the beautiful things about the Bible are the new things that God constantly teaches us. 
Now, when I'm telling you these stories, I want you to be in the role of each person and the people we're going to look at. One is Joshua, two, Job, and three, Peter. And as you put yourself in the place of these characters, I want you to see what the devil does to get you down, and I want you to see what his purpose is to get you down, and I want you to see what God does to defend you, because in the long run, it is God who's gonna defend you against everything. So are you ready? Do you have your Bibles? Don't, don't answer, don't take them off, don't, don't, it's okay. I just like to do that to make sure you guys are always on your toes. Okay, I'm gonna read to you from Isaiah, no, not Isaiah, Zechariah, Chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Zechariah was a great prophet. And one day he had a vision. And this is the vision that he saw. And I'm sharing it with you. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Now I want you to imagine that you're Joshua the high priest and Satan is accusing you. Everybody in the picture with me? Okay. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now all of us sitting over here are burning sticks. Why were we burning sticks? Because we were in the fire. And God snatched us out of the fire. Every one of us by the salvation that we've received. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. Now most of you know the story of the prodigal son. Everybody knows the story of the prodigal son. Please say you do. The prodigal son returned home after wasting his father's fortune. As he returned home, his father came running towards him. There you have the prodigal son making declarations that he's been rehearsing all the way. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. What does the father do? He embraces the prodigal son in a sign of love and forgiveness, but then he says, the dirty clothes that you're wearing will no longer do. So he told his servants to bring the best robe in the house and put it on him. And this is something I want you to understand that no longer can you wear dirty clothes because God has given you new clothes. So after you've received salvation, after you've got new clothes, which one of us, and I want you to think about this, would go back, look for their dirty clothes, and put them on again? Anybody here? Anybody? But isn't that what many of us sometimes do? Like scripture says, like a pig returning to its vomit, or it's a dog returning to its vomit, and a pig returning to wallow in the mud. When we return to our sinful lives, 
It is like taking the dirty clothes that have been discarded and putting them back on again. But I'm not here to talk about dirty clothes here. I'm here to talk about the clean clothes that God has blessed every one of us. And then further, then I said, and now this is Zechariah saying this, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts and I will give you a place among these standing here. Who are you? Ordinary people sitting over here listening to the word of God. If you were ordinary people, the devil wouldn't bother with you. Every one of you is an extraordinary person. Say, I am an extraordinary person. And God has an extraordinary plan for you. Say, God has an extraordinary plan for me. The devil knows that. So what does he do? He has the audacity to stand in front of God and in front of you, pointing a finger at you and accusing you. We've got to say nothing doing. I have pulled these people out from the fire and even though they might be burning sticks, they're going to burn for me and not for you. I'm taking away their dirty clothes and I'm giving them new clothes. Clothes of nobility, clothes of royalty, clothes of power. And why Zechariah over here might have said, put turbans on their heads, which is a sign of authority. God says, put a ring on their fingers. A ring is a sign of power and authority. And God is saying to you, you have the power and the authority to do the things of my kingdom. You have the power to do my will. Do you see now why the devil constantly accuses us? And do you know why he's making all that noise and why there's so much of disturbance since this morning? Because he doesn't want his words heard here. He wants to distract you if he can't accuse you so that he will steal away the words of God before they're sown in your heart and mind. But I know something else here that even though there might be an accuser and even though there might be a disturber, there is God over here. He's going to make sure that every single word that he speaks falls on fertile soil and the soil is your hearts that have been prepared over the weeks and the months and the years for this great message of God. Say amen. amen. So nothing is going to be stolen here today. And every single one of you is going to be blessed by the word of God. Now I'm going to take you to a guy called Job. All of you know Job? Who's Job? Go on. A righteous man, and what happened to him? Go on. He lost everything. Everything he had. He had lots of cattle, and he had lots of friends, and he had good health, and he had lots of money, and he lost everything. Why? Because he was a sinner. Because he was a righteous man. Oops. So there's no winning. If I'm a sinner, I get it bad. If I'm a righteous man, I get it bad. Why? 
Let's find out, okay? This is Job chapter 1, verses 6 to 12. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. Can you imagine? Once again his audacity. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth going back and forth. What is Satan doing? Guy has no work now. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He's roaming through the world. And you know where he got this habit? Not when he was on earth. He got this habit when he was in heaven with God. Did you know once upon a time he was God's favorite angel? What was his name? Did you know that he roamed heaven when he was Lucifer? I bet you didn't know that. So listen to scripture, okay? This is what scripture says. Ezekiel chapter 28, 14. He's talking to Lucifer. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, a guardian angel. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. And what was Lucifer doing in heaven? Walking. Walking up and down. But what do you think he was doing walking up and down? He was making sure that everything in heaven was all right. But as he walked around, and he walked around, and he walked around, he looked at the other angels, and he looked at himself, and he says, what a beautiful angel I am. And not only am I beautiful, I am so powerful, because I have jurisdiction over all heaven. And eventually he started to think that he was smarter than God, he was stronger than God, so one day he challenged God for the throne. And you know what happened after that? He came down to the world, but then he was so used to walking, he couldn't stop walking, so he's continued to walk. And what is he doing as he's walking? 1 Peter 5, 8 says, the devil walks around like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. So he's walking in our midst, constantly waiting to pounce on you, constantly waiting to eat you up. The good news is that he can't do a single thing against you unless God says that he can. And God is not going to tell him he can do anything unless the devil can point a finger at you and say that you are guilty. You see why he's accusing you? Okay, let me continue. This is fascinating. Then the Lord said to Satan, you know, and now basically he's saying I'm walking on the earth and everyone I see is a sinner. Everyone I see is a bad guy. And then God says to Satan, have you considered Job? Job is a man who is righteous. Job is a man who is godly. Job is a man who does everything that is right. And God is so proud of Job, he can't resist boasting to the devil. Have you considered Job? Job is the righteous man. Job does whatever I ask him to do. Job follows me. And then Satan says to him, Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Who is God in, in our story? Judge. Very good. He's the judge. 
Now, if an accuser comes in front of a judge, the judge has to consider the accusation. The judge has to investigate. Otherwise, he wouldn't be a good judge. He wouldn't be a just judge. Correct? So here you have the devil who is coming to God and saying, your servant Job is righteous, I acknowledge, but why is he righteous? And he's questioning Job's motives. He's saying the only reason Job is righteous is because you're protecting him and you're blessing him. Take away your hand of protection, take away your hand of blessings and see how Job is going to curse you. What can God do? I mean, many things I'm sure, and I will never fully understand why he did what he did next. But he said, okay, I leave this man to you. I take away my hand of protection. You do whatever you want, except kill him. And as we all know, what happened to Job? He lost his flock. He lost his friends. He lost his family. He lost his health. But no matter what happened to him, he never did what Satan expected him to do. He never cursed God. He never lost his faith in God. Now is the problem being righteous? Today we have a defendant. Today we have someone who defends the defendant and he's Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, that is the confidence I want us to have. Why did God do it many, many years ago? I don't know. But the one thing I know is that after Job showed his faith in God, God restored every single thing that Job had lost and doubled it twice. Once again, why does the accuser point a finger at us when we're living good lives? Why does the accuser constantly say, get him down? I know there are good people who fall sick. I know there are very righteous people who struggle through life. Why does that happen? The answer is over here. Is that Satan is pointing a finger and accusing us. But God is saying, I trust this person. You test him if you want to. He will not fail because he loves me and he believes in me. Not everyone who comes to my talks, even though I shout like everybody is a bad guy. I know that everyone is a good guy, really at heart. I just know that some of us give in to weaknesses. But I know that a lot of us sitting over here are truly righteous people who are really trying to do what God is asking them to do. I've always believed that and I continue to. So the question is, why suffer? The answer is because you have an accuser. And what I'm trying to do through these teachings is to take away his sting, take away his power, and show us what we need to do to be able to stand him so that we live victorious lives. Everybody with me? Now there's a third person I want to talk about, okay? And he's Peter. All of you know Peter? Many times I've asked you to be Peter. Can you be Peter again today? You're a tough guy, aren't you, Peter? you made promises to God, haven't you, Peter? You've told God you're going to live righteous lives, you're going to do great things for him, haven't you, Peter? You've told him you're going to become a great apostle and you're going to travel around the world and you're going to preach the word of God, haven't you, Peter? You've told him you're going to look after your wife and your kids, you're going to take care of your parents, you're going to be truthful, you're going to be honest, you're going to be loyal, haven't you, Peter? Say yes, because you have. Every one of you has, haven't you? 
There's another Peter in this Bible who kind of did the same thing. He made great promises to God. And after the Last Supper, Jesus went to Peter, went to this guy, and he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you. And I understood this only this time when I was reading it. All this time I has to say, Satan, Satan, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But this time I read the verse actually says, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. And then it continues and said, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And after you've turned back, you will restore your brothers. There you have the accuser pointing a finger once again at a man who's not sinned yet, but he knows that the man is someone whom God has a huge plan for. Why? Because he has heard Jesus saying to Peter, Peter, on this, the rock, I will build my church and even the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Do you remember that? So the devil knows that God has a plan for Peter and it's a great plan and the devil doesn't want great plans of God to take place. I know God has a great plan for every one of you sitting over here, even though you might not know it yet. Now the devil also knows that God has this great plan. So what he's going to do is his best to make sure that this plan doesn't happen. So he asks God for permission to sift all of you. And all of you just doesn't include you. It includes your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, and every ancestor all the way back to Adam. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. But I want you to follow me now. So now what happens? Peter is this tough guy, okay? He's a good guy. He loves his God. And he makes a great promise to God and says, I will never deny you. I will never betray you. I will follow you wherever you ask me to go. I will even follow you to the cross. And Jesus says to him, you're a tough guy. You're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny me before the cock crows three times. And we know that's exactly what happened. How many times have you denied Jesus? How many times have you let him down? How many times have you betrayed him? How many times have you broken your promises to him? I'm not doing this to make you feel guilty. I'm trying, I'm doing this to try to make you understand. It doesn't matter what you have done. You need to keep the faith in one thing. You still have your defense attorney who's arguing for you. And what your defense attorney is saying at this moment in time is that he died not only for the sins of your past, he's also died for the sins of your future. The sins you've not committed as yet. The sins you might commit when you leave this place and go home. And this is what I want you to understand now and forever. That God's forgiveness is for all time. That his blood has washed you for all time. I've let God down. I've confessed in almost every meeting and I'll continue to confess it till I achieve perfection, which is probably only going to be when Jesus returns. And every time I do that, you know what is happening? Satan is asking God for permission to sift me. So what does he do? He lays these traps for me. He lays these traps for you. And very often what happens? You fall into those traps. And when you fall into the traps, what happens? Out comes that finger saying, you bad guy. You're never going to be holy. You're never going to be able to live a righteous life. You're never going to be able to do what God says you're going to do. And I want you to remember at these times what Peter remembered. The faith that Jesus prayed that he might have. And the faith was simply this. That God's love is greater than your sin. That God's love is so huge there is nothing you do. 
that can prevent his mercy from happening in your life. That it doesn't matter how many times you've blown it, how many times you've let God down, God is saying to you, I still have faith in you. You have faith in that faith. And this is what God wants you to understand because one more time I'm telling you, God has a plan and a purpose for your lives and it goes beyond sitting over here and listening to talks. God's plan is as great as the plan he had for Joshua. God's plan is as great as the plan he had for Job. God's plan is as great as the plan he had for Peter. And the question is only this. Will you let the accusations of the devil stop you from fulfilling God's plan? How will you say, I'm going to fulfill God's plan no matter what because I believe in God? And you know what happens? Now this is what's going to happen to you. Let us assume that Brother Lancey over here says, okay, enough of sitting on my, um, on my seat. I'm going to go out. I'm going to move in faith. I'm going to let God start to work in my life. Imagine my brother over there says the same thing. Imagine my sister over here says the same thing. Imagine my little sister over there says the same thing. Imagine my brother, what's your name? <coughs> Jason says the same thing, right? What is going to happen? The devil's finger that he's been wagging around starts to wag around a little more fiercely. Why? Because now Jason is coming closer to attaining God's Path, plan for his life and he doesn't want it to happen. How many of you have followed elections here, the American election recently, for instance? Yeah, Mr. Goon versus Mrs. Goon. Uh, sorry, what were their names? I forget. forget. Forget them, yeah. Or any election for that matter. Have you noticed how much of dirt the opposition starts to bring out about the candidates? The closer they come to becoming a president or a prime minister, the greater the digging. Have you noticed that? And which is why you should know that when you come close to achieving God's plan and purpose for your life, that finger is going to come more deeper on you. And the devil is not only going to uncover stuff that you did in this life, he's going to start uncovering the sins of your fathers and the sins of your great-grandfathers because he will use whatever he can to point a finger at you. And so, even if you're living a righteous life, even if you're living a clean life, he wants to be able to stand in front of God the judge and say, hey, here is this debt from the past that has not been paid off. Here is a case that has still not been settled. And now the question comes is, really I'm responsible for the case against my father, against my grandfather, against my great, 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 great grandfather? And the answer is unfortunately, yes. Scripture, I can't tell you these things on my own. So, <clears throat> this is the story of Jesus, John chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What is the inference from this? There are many things you can infer from this, but one of the things you can infer is that the sins of your parents can affect you today. Everybody with me? Do you think that is fair? I mean, why should what your father did affect 
you here today. I want us to ask the question and I want us to examine it very carefully because it is important that we understand this. Now I gave you an example last week and that's a good example so I'm going to give it to you again. Imagine your grandfather is a farmer and he has a lot of property, a lot of fields that he cultivates. And one day in a fit of rage, he kills one of the people working for him. The guy dies on the spot. Nothing happens to your grandfather because he happens to be a very powerful man in the town and he goes caught free. Now the mother of this boy curses your grandfather and says, may you suffer and may your generation suffer because of what you did to my son. Now that is a curse and that's a generational curse. And I'm not going to talk about generational curses today. I'm going to talk about generational sins. And what a generational sin is are the sins of the father passing down to the sons. Why that? Only because of the case. Now what happens to your grandfather after he dies? His fields, his property, everything passes on to your father, right? When your father dies, who does all that land pass on to? It passes on to you, right? Now if you can take the property, if you can take all the possessions that belong to your grandfather, you also unfortunately take on the sins that he committed on yourself. And now if you look at scripture, you will find that through the centuries, some of the greatest prophets, including Daniel and Nehemiah, tomorrow, next week I'm going to talk about Nehemiah. Daniel and Nehemiah, they said, Lord, forgive us for our sins and the sins of our parents. And I want us to be able to do that because I want us to have our entire line cleaned up so that the devil no longer can accuse us of anything. Now once again, I need to take you to scripture to show you what God says about this. Okay, this is Isaiah 43. And can I have the words up on the board, please? Can we read this together? I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake and remembers your sins no more. Review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State the case for your innocence. Your first father sinned. Those I sent to teach you rebelled against me. So I disgraced the dignitaries of your temple. I consigned Jacob to destruction and Israel to scorn. We're going to stop over there, okay? This is God talking. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake. Think about this for a minute. God is forgiving your sins for whose sake? I mean, without looking at the verse. For your sake? You think it's for your sake, right? But here it says, I'm not forgiving your sins for your sake, I'm forgiving your sins for my sake. Why God's sake? Why is God forgiving your sins for his sake? Because when he forgives our sins, he gives an opportunity to show how great he is. He gives us an opportunity to show how merciful he is. He gives us, gives us the opportunity to show us how benevolent he is. And in that he is glorified. The reason sometimes, and this is what happened when I went to a priest once, you know, 
I told him I really feel bad about coming for confession. And he says, why do you feel bad? He says, don't you understand that when you come for confession and you confess your sins, you give God a chance to show how merciful he is. And that changed the way I looked at sinning and changed the way I looked at confession. Of course, it doesn't mean that I go on sinning so that I give God a chance to be merciful, but it shows that I do understand that God gets a chance to show his greatness because of his mercy. And then he continues and says, review the past with me, okay? What is the past? The past is not just your past. The past is your father's past. The past is your grandfather's past, all the way back down to Adam. Are you with me? Let us argue the matter together. Let's talk about the matter together. And once again, you will notice that all this language is courtroom language. This is not the language of two people. This is the language of courts. And then he says, take the case for your innocence. Now, if your great-grandfather has killed somebody and the ground is crying out for justice, what innocence are you going to state? You're going to say, my grandfather was innocent? And that is the problem. Very often we kind of claim innocence. Now and this is the secret because scripture says if you confess your sins your father is faithful and just. He will forgive you your sins and purify you of all unrighteousness. So all we basically need to do is to confess to God yes Lord my parents were guilty My ancestors were guilty. We're very sorry for whatever they did to hurt you. Please forgive us. And that is all that it takes. Now, unfortunately, whenever we have confessed the sins of our parents and grandparents, we stop over there, not understanding that ancestry goes all the way back to Adam. Now, I want to tell you a story before we break off a prayer. This happened in the very early days of the ministry. This lady came to me one day. This was, I think, you know, the very first year of my ministry. I just started. And this lady came to me and told me that her husband was in hospital in a coma on life support. And she said, would you please come and pray with him? So in those days, I thought that God was going to use me in great ways and God was going to bring healing to this man. So I went to the hospital bed and there was that man stretched out on the bed life support, you know, that those things in your nose and kind of pipes taking, going into machines and stuff like that. And he's in a total coma. He's been in a coma for about three weeks. So I said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. If this woman called me, God has a plan for me. So I said, maybe God wants me to heal the guy. So I placed my hand on his head and was about to pray. But the moment I placed my hand on his head, I heard this voice saying, I am angry with him. And I went, oh my God. Why are you angry with him? I mean, what has he done? And I have no idea what to proceed further. You know, I'm too scared to put my hand on the guy's head again. If God is angry with him, there has to be a reason why he's angry with him. So I kind of took the wife aside and I can't tell her I heard this voice in my head. So I said, can you tell me something about your family? And she said, yes, my husband was a kind of rogue guy. He used to do whatever he wanted to do. He was a drunkard. He used to do all kinds of things to hurt the family. So we have five children. All five children are married and all five children are divorced. And the moment she said that, something started to click in my head. And what started to click in my head was this, something that I heard before, is that when sometimes we go to false gods 
And when we sometimes offer things to these false gods, including our family, including our children, there has to be an account for that offering that you've made to God. So I kind of am doing this in my head. And remember, I'm a new Christian. Forget about being a new uh, in, in ministry. I have no idea what to do. So once again, I kind of go and I'm now praying to God. I'm saying, okay, Lord, so you brought me over here. I know he's messed up. I know he's gone to false gods. What am I supposed to do? So he said, tell him to repent. And I said, how can I tell him to repent? The man's in a coma. You know, God sometimes can really be very funny when he does things like this. So I said, Lord, okay, I just pray. Um, Lord, bring this man to repentance. I leave the hospital. Half an hour later, this woman calls me and says, brother, a miracle took place. And I said, what happened? And she said, my husband has come out from his coma. And I said, praise the Lord. Okay. So now I kind of, God is kind of talking to me more and more. And I tell her, I think what your husband needs to do is to make a confession. And I want it to be a good confession. Please get a priest to come. Let your, tell your husband that what he's done is very displeasing to God. Get him to remorse. And I'm pretty sure when this man was in the coma, he was hearing a lot of things. Okay. So he didn't hesitate. He asked for the priest himself. The priest came. He made a confession. Oh, I forgot to tell you, this man was not only uh, in a coma. He was paralyzed also, yeah? He couldn't walk. So anyway, he did all of this. So the woman said uh, three days later, can you please come and pray over my husband again? So again, I went to the hospital. This man was lying over there. He, he, he doesn't have that thing in his uh, nose anymore, but he's still flat out on his back because he can't move. Uh, very uh, tentatively, I put my, you know, putting my hand on his head to see whether God is going to say he's angry with him or not, but there was nothing. And I said, okay, Lord, I think he's made his peace with you. Can you please bless him and can you bless his family? And I went and half an hour after I left the place, this woman calls me again and she said, brother, another miracle took place. And I said, what happened? And she said, my husband has started walking. And I said, praise the Lord. And he went home, okay? And a week later, she called me and said that her husband had died. Now, um, I wasn't really surprised that he died because he was an old man and sickly. But I think God kept him alive for so long because God wanted to have mercy upon this man. God wanted to forgive him. God wanted him to make his peace with him. And once he made his peace, his life didn't matter anymore. Now, I don't know what happened to the children. I mean, once you're divorced, I figure you're divorced for good. And I don't know if the lady, uh, if she watches this on video, kind of will give me a call or something and kind of tell me what's happened to them, whether they're blessed or not. But what I would like to think is that they are blessed because when you confess sins and God forgives you, it kind of cleans out the bloodline forever. Now what I want us to understand is I want that entire bloodline clean so that you are blessed and your offspring are blessed as well. Enough of pain, no? How long are we going to keep suffering for? Now there's one more thing I want to say before we get into the prayer. I've seen so many families. Now I don't want to talk about them because some people are sitting over here in this room, but they're very close to me. And I know that in every single family, as in, in a brother's family, there is one child who is sick or there's something wrong with him or her. In another brother's family, there's one child who's suffering with something or the other. And the same thing in every single family. There are about six brothers in this house and every single one of them has one child who has something wrong with them. 
Now, unfortunately, this is affecting even the next generation. So their children is also having, you know, problems with their kids. Now, many of us, when we look at things like this, we point a finger and says, oh, their problem, their family has a generational issue. But now I want you to think one more time that our generation is not only a father and a grandfather. Our generation, our ancestry goes all the way back to Adam. And I'm pretty sure that somewhere along the line, there is some murderer, there is some blasphemer, there is some devil worshiper. And whatever they did is somehow passing down to all of us. So what I want us to do here today is to get our entire bloodline clean. Speaking of the bloodline, is the power in the blood of Jesus? Is the power in the blood of animals? Yes, because scripture talks about the blood of animals that were sacrificed. But nobody ever talks about the power of human blood. The power of your blood. Blood that passes on from generation to generation. That is why it is called a bloodline. So today what we're going to do is purify the entire bloodline. And I would really like to believe that by the time we leave here, all of us are going to be clean from head to toe, from Adam down to our kids. So you ready for that? Okay, so let's all stand up. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Can I invite the choir here, please? I want this prayer to come up on the, on the board. I'm going to read this for you. Before you read it out yourselves. And I'm going to read it slowly so that you get an understanding of what it is that you're confessing to God here tonight. Okay? Thank you, Lord, for my parents and their parents and all my ancestors. All the way back to Adam and Eve. I'm alive in this world today because of them and my bloodline. I do not know my ancestors beyond a couple of generations or what they may have done to offend you, but knowing that every person who has walked upon this earth is a sinner, I know that they have sinned against you just as I have. Do you understand what that means? We don't know what our ancestors have done, do we? We don't know what offense they've committed against God. We might know the offenses we have committed, so we're going to confess once again all our sins and their sins. As I open my bloodline to you, I acknowledge all my sins and repent for them. And on behalf of my ancestors, I acknowledge all their sins against you as well. I ask you for your forgiveness for all of us. I especially repent and renounce any and all covenants or contracts made with other people or with false gods. And I pray that the blood of Jesus, which was shed for all humanity, for the forgiveness of sins, washed through my entire bloodline, bringing forgiveness, healing, and deliverance. One of the greatest sins against God is the sin I just spoke about. When you go to false gods, when you make offerings to gods. And I was in Australia and New Zealand before I came here, and one of the people who kind of taught this to me told me how his grandfather had killed someone. And when he was sharing... His life, other people came and said that when they were little, when they were babies, their fathers, even though they were Christians, took their babies to Hindu gods and offered them up there. I had the sense when I was doing this in charge that there were a couple of people, even in that congregation, who offered their kids to, to Hindu gods. I don't know how many of you had parents who did the foolishness of the same thing, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are a few people over here too who did that. What can you do? 
nothing except confess, say sorry and accept God's forgiveness. <clears throat> I also ask that your blood flow through my offspring, living or dead, bringing your forgiveness, healing and deliverance to them as well. I accept your forgiveness, healing and deliverance for my entire bloodline with much gratitude. As I move forward in life, I thank you for your grace, your Holy Spirit, your word, and your church, which will help me to see your face to face as you return in triumphant glory, as I remain faithful to you and our covenant. And then we end by thanking God, Father, friend, and judge. So are you ready for this now? Okay, we're gonna play this from the beginning. We're gonna do this slowly. We're gonna do this with meaning. And as you do this, I want you to truly envisage the blood of Jesus washing you, washing your blood from all the generations back forward. I'll begin with a short prayer. Father God, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for this evening. I want to thank you for this talk, which is one of the most difficult I've ever given. There's been a lot of oppression over here tonight, Lord, from the moment I walked in so unlike last week where there was only blessing and anointing. But I know the reason for that, Lord. The reason is that the devil who cannot accuse us anymore wants to distract us and take away all the blessings that you want to give us because it is in his interest to make sure the case file against us is open in court. But today we are determined to close the case file, Lord. And regardless of whether anyone was paying attention to the talk or not, as we declare these words in full confidence and boldness and courage in strength and in faith, we know that whatever plans the devil has are going to count for nothing. And every single member in our bloodline is going to be cleansed, blessed and free. We want to lift up at this very moment in time, not only ourselves, but also our spouses and their bloodline, Lord. We ask that just as you are going to cleanse ours, you cleanse theirs as well. Jesus prayed for Peter when he walked upon this earth. He didn't pray as a God, he prayed as a man. And just as he prayed for Peter, we can pray for those whom we care about, those whom we love. And we would like to pray now, Lord, for our spouses and their bloodline as well. So my brothers and my sisters, with full faith, with all the faith you can muster, with acknowledgement of God and his great love, and the knowledge of what Jesus did for us by his death and his resurrection, by the shedding of his blood, we know that God is going to hear our prayers here tonight. He's gonna to answer and the verdict he's gonna deliver us is not guilty. So let us say, thank you Lord for my parents and their parents and all my ancestors all the way back to Adam and Eve. I am alive in this world today because of them and my bloodline. I do not know my ancestors beyond a couple of generations or what they may have done to offend you. But knowing that every person who has walked upon this earth is a sinner, I know that they have sinned against you just as I have. As I open my bloodline to you, I acknowledge all my sins and repent for them. And on behalf of my ancestors, I acknowledge all their sins against you as well. I ask you for your forgiveness for all of us. 
I especially repent and renounce any and all covenants or contracts made with other people or with false gods. And I pray that the blood of Jesus, which was shed for all humanity for the forgiveness of sins, washed through my entire bloodline, bringing forgiveness, healing, and deliverance. I also ask that your blood flow through my offspring, living or dead, bringing your forgiveness, healing, and deliverance to them as well. I accept your forgiveness, healing, and deliverance for my entire bloodline with much gratitude. As I move forward in life, I thank you for your grace, your Holy Spirit, your word, and your church, which will help me to see you face to face as you return in triumphant glory, as I remain faithful to you and our covenant. Thank you, Lord, my Father, my friend, my judge. I want us to know that from this moment onwards, the devil cannot accuse you, your family, your ancestors, nobody, because you're all washed in the blood of Jesus. If you fail and if you fall in the days to come, know that all it takes is a repentant heart for God to forgive you for those sins as well. Know also that the reason the devil is accusing you is because he does not want God's plans to be fulfilled in your life. You're not going to listen to any accusations and you're not going to take, do anything to stop God's plan from being effective. You're going to go forth from this moment onwards and say, Lord, I'm ready to do your will. I'm ready to go where you asked me to go and I'm ready to do what you want me to do. But there is nothing we can do on our own. We need God's Spirit in our lives. And that is why we're going to ask for God to burn a new fire within our souls. A fire that will burn forevermore and never cease. So we're going to sing this song. It's a very simple song with only about four lines. We're going to sing it and sing it and sing it until we find ourselves burning. Let's stop.
blessed you. For more great content, visit our website www.hsiweb.org and kindly consider supporting the work we do. God bless you.